Her podcast is much like a crawfish boil. Raw, hot, messy, spicy, salty, nourishing, and satisfying. My name is Andrea, and this is Adult Child. Welcome back to Adult Child, where we take a deep dive into the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family. Ahoy, my dear, dear shit shows. For any new listeners, I'm Andrea. I am uh, the queen of the shit show. So today we are diving deep with Kristen Carter. So she is the host of the podcast, I Have ADHD. And I, as I share, just recently diagnosed with mild ADHD. So the million dollar question here for us shit shows is, is it ADHD or is it complex PTSD? And it can be really difficult to differentiate between the two because there are so many overlapping um, symptoms. But I think that in time, it will be revealed if it's also ADHD. So take Patrick Tehan, for example, you know, he exhibited signs of, he talked about this when he was on the podcast, he exhibited, you know, ADHD characteristics, but as as he healed, as he worked through his trauma, those characteristics went away. Uh, and then take me, for example, right? Like I've done a lot of work on myself. I've worked through a lot of my trauma and yet I still have these, you know, these certain things going on as far as organization and procrastination and time management and all of that shit, which kind of gives an indicator that perhaps there's more going on here. It's similar to when we get sober. So many people go into rehab and get diagnosed with, I don't know, like bipolar or, you know, other mental illnesses. And you really can't tell what's actually going on with someone until they get some sobriety under their belt. You really can't make a, a clear diagnosis until things have settled a bit. And I think that that's probably the case here too with ADHD and complex PTSD. I think that the ADHD versus complex PTSD is a more important conversation as it relates to kids. So is these symptoms, these ADHD symptoms that this kid is uh, exhibiting, is this actually ADHD or is this them um, you know, acting out of traumatic stress? Is this hyperactivity or is this hypervigilance? Is this, you know, inattention and um, daydreaming or is this dissociation? Is this impulsivity or is this a child having a trauma response? A child being misdiagnosed with ADHD when it actually is PTSD will have grave ramifications on the rest of their life. Whereas if it is identified early on that this is trauma while the child's brain is still developing, well, there's the opportunity there to to start the rewiring process, the neuroplasticity. If we can identify that this is trauma at a young age, we have the ability to, you know, not have that impact that child for the rest of their lives. So I, I recently reconnected with an old friend from my past. So he was diagnosed with ADHD when he was young. And I talked to him recently and he has had 
like a complete psychotic break. Um, I don't know if it's schizophrenia or if it's what, but he has completely lost his mind. And when I was talking to him, one of the things that he shared was that when he was pretty young, that he was, um, you know, molested when he was at a sleepaway camp. And so, you know, he had very, very severe ADHD. And what if that actually was traumatic stress? And what if that had been addressed back then and there and not finding himself in the position that he's in now? All right, y'all. So let's get the damn show on the road. But first, two Fridays ago, I launched this shit show. So as I have shared, um, I'm moving off of Patreon and onto Mighty Networks. This is a more robust community. Uh, there is a lot more features in there. And as of now, it is only available for those who were already Patreon members. So we are going to be working out the kinks in this new platform for the next month or so before we open it up to all you damn shit shows. So stay tuned on that. Next, give me a little follow on the Insta, on the TikTok, at Adult Child Pod. And last but not least, give me a damn five-star rating on Apple, on Spotify. Thank you. Love you. Bye. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Um, all right, y'all, it's my pleasure to introduce Kristen Carter. She is the host of the podcast, I Have ADHD. And this is perfect because I just learned that I have ADHD. <laughs> so good. Welcome. Thank welcome. you for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. So this is a topic that I've been wanting to dive into for a while on the podcast. Um, I think that there's a ton of overlap with complex trauma, which we can get into. But first, let's hear your let's hear your ADHD story. I guess. Well, first, would you consider yourself an adult child? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Have you read the laundry list before? No, I've not. Oh, I'll have to send it over to you. I would love that. Let me pull it up now. Have your mind. Please do. Let's, let's do the checklist. It's it's good. Is it a laundry list of what makes someone an adult child? Yeah. It's like the common characteristics. I don't have all of them, Mm. but I have um, many of them. The first time I read it, it was like a fucking spiritual experience. Um, Should I get myself prepared here? Yeah. Prepare to shit your pants. Okay, great. I can't wait. (laughs) Okay. So here we go. Oh, okay. Number one. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I hate this. I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. Yes. Very, very, very true. Um, What do you relate to the most? Well, I would really, I mean, the first five are the only, the first four are the only ones that I've seen. So isolated and afraid of people uh, and authority figures. I absolutely hate authority and I always want to be the one in power having control. And I know now that that's because 
of coming from a place of needing to be safe. Mm-hmm. Um, approval seekers and lost our identity in the process. Absolutely. Yes. I'm just now at the age of 42, figuring out um, what I care about and being able to stand in my own identity and authority and my own agency around like who I am. Mm-hmm. Um being frightened or ang- angry. Excuse me, let me read that again. We're frightened by angry people and any personal criticism. My husband would say that this is very true. He is the most <laughs> calm, regulated, steady person ever. Um, but anytime he wants to offer feedback, apparently I get very triggered. So he says, so, yeah. um, which is so rude. So yeah, I mean, I relate to so much of this. I think that as someone with ADHD, um, I never recognized how emotional immaturity and trauma played a part in my life because it was very easy for me to just look at the characteristics that I exhibited and attribute them to ADHD rather than doing a deep dive into like, what has actually made me who I am and why is it that I'm showing up this way? And so in the last two and a half years, I've been in intense therapy and I've hated and loved every second of it, but it's been a reckoning for me. What type of therapy? Um, talk therapy, uh, Uh, trauma, very, very, very trauma informed. Um, and I just started EMDR with that same therapist, Mm -hmm. which has been so fascinating because like many um, childhood trauma survivors, I don't remember much. And so that has been, um, does I I don't know if anybody relates to this, but like I get major performance anxiety when doing EMDR with my therapist. I'm like, I'm going to do such a good job. You're going to be so proud of me. And she's like, that's not actually how this this works. Yeah. (laughs) But the purpose Yep. And so <laughs> that has, uh, that's been hard for me. EMDR hasn't, it doesn't come naturally, the process of it, but I will say that it, it has made a really big impact. It's, it's really, really, really been helpful. So yeah, I mean, I went into therapy two and a half years ago thinking, I just have this like one little thing. Well, okay. That's what I want to know. What was the catalyst? The catalyst was that, um, couldn't figure out why, I didn't love the relationship that I had with my parents because my parents were so amazing and they were so great. And they were just like the best people in the whole world. So because I was convinced that that was the truth, I was very confused about why was I struggling in this relationship? Because my parents are the best. It's like, why, why am I struggling? And I was just about to go through a transition. So my husband, um, this is like, I don't know how much information you want about Kristen Carter, but I was just about to go, go deep here. We no filter. No, if you give me some bullshit answer, I will dig deeper. So give it all up. We try. My husband here. is a pastor and okay. we were just transitioning out of one job, which he had been in for 16 years. And he was going to be launching a church. And I had decided, you know what? It would probably would be best for my parents not to come to this new church. And that would just like make sense. And in my brain, my amazing, wonderful parents are totally going to understand this. And so I'm just going to go to them. I'm just going to be like, guys, this is just like probably a good idea. And <laughs> and shocking. What was the incident that made you want to do that? Oh, um, that was centered around just like, I'm not sure why, but I just don't feel good. 
mm, when you're around. Mm-hmm. When, when we're in the same church environment, I'm not sure why. I don't know what's happening because I, I know they're amazing and I know they're the best and I know they're like just the best people in the whole world. But like, I just don't understand, but I don't feel good. And so in this new space, I want to make sure that like I can show up authentically mm-hmm. and that I can feel good. And so, you know, I think a lot of people go into therapy with those blinders on like I did. And so the last two and a half years have been um, stepping out of the fantasy that Mm -hmm. I was groomed to believe for 38 years and, and being plopped down right into the reality of like what my story actually is and what the relationship is actually like. And, and so that part has sucked so much because ignorance, it's not great, but it is blissful. And when you actually start seeing the reality that that's really painful. So it's been a two and a half year grieving process for me. That's so interesting. I can't remember who I had somebody on and they were talking about this, about just like, it's, it's almost like being gaslit, like to believe that your parents are so wonderful. So what have you unpacked there? And how did that come about? Let's go there. Oh, um, what have I unpacked? How does a child come to believe that? Is it through direct messaging? Is it through indirect messaging? It's both. You know, there's this concept called the moral defense. Have you heard of uh-huh. that? Uh-huh. Where the children must believe that their caregivers are good. Yeah, because it's too fucking scary not to. Exactly. We have to believe it. Mm -hmm. So it, of course, that was there because I'm a human and we all enter the world in that way. We're like, our parents are perfect. And like, of course they love me. And of course they're going to take care of me. And of course they prioritize me. But when I started to see things, behavior that didn't match up with that, then there was a lot of gaslighting Unlike you know, I'm just doing that for your own good, or this is just what um, the Bible says we should do. Lots of spiritual Mm. abuse. Your recent um, episode, I forget who it was with, but it was very impactful. So the woman, the the religious- Spiritual abuse survivor. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. That was so impactful to me. So I just want to say, I appreciate you hosting her because that was so helpful to me growing up in- fundamental Christianity Mm -hmm. and um, being someone who, you know, there's, there's just a lot of gaslighting overall in that community. Now I am someone who is still grounded in my faith. I haven't left the church. I'm still very committed, but it, it looks and sounds a lot differently. Um, Mm -hmm. Which I love. And I love that I get to raise my kids in an environment where um, telling the truth really matters and how they feel really matters and how we don't have to make everything a spiritual thing. Sometimes stuff just happens. happens and yeah. yeah. It's not, it doesn't imagine that. Say it again. Imagine that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So um, yeah. Unpacking all of that was, it was like going through a hallway of pictures of your memories and having to address every single photo 
and and process it through a new lens. Mm. Now I'm going to look at this memory, this photo, and I have to process it through the lens of the information that I know now. Now I'm going to look at, and it was a long ass hallway. Mm. That hallway was long. And so having to do that with every single memory, um, that was, that was a difficult process. Yeah. That was a real hard. Um, what does your relationship look what, like with them now? Not great. Yeah. Um, right now we're not in contact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I get it, man. It's such a common experience for us. Like when we, when we start to, when we're no longer blind, the way that I, this is the way that I look at it. It's like, and I went through a period of this with my parents where they really lashed out. Right. It's like when you're mm-hmm. finally no longer in denial, yeah. like you're seen as the problem and that's so fucking painful. Yeah. Um, and the way that I look at it now, it's like, I'm not, I'm not going to participate in the family dysfunction, but I'm also not going to like ignore it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So the way that I say it, it's like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to carry the elephant out of the room, but I'm not going to pretend like there's not an elephant in the room. It's good. I like that a lot. Yeah. yeah. It's been, that would, that would go on the list of like the saddest mm-hmm. part of my life to date is that um, the taking accountability, the making repair, the doing their own work, the investigating that just was not present. And I spent a long time um, trying to make it work. Like mm. if I could just explain it in a better way. The fantasy thinking. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh. I mean, that is so pervasive for me. Like as someone who lived in fantasy for so long, um, even as I was seeing the truth, I was still living in the fantasy of like, I'm still the problem. I'm still not communicating clearly. I'm still just, I just need to say it differently. I just need to, I need to say it to their face or maybe I need to say it in an email or maybe like all of that was so real. So that, that process was also really hard. It's mm-hmm. still really raw. I mean, this is like fairly, fairly recent where I, I really saw that there was just no hope. Mm-hmm. And then we just have to say, okay, how because I've never been protected, it's time mm-hmm. to do some self-protection. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that it's it's a whole thing. It's it's a really interesting process. And I think if 10 years ago I was listening to this, I would be like, well, I'm never going to therapy, <laughs> right? Because I don't want to uncover anything. And I think there are people out there like that. But But what has been gifted to me on the other side of it is a groundedness that I'd never experienced mm. before, a self-trust that I literally had never had prior to this process, an ability to stand in my own authority and understand that like what I just saw or what I just experienced, my perception of it is true. Mm -hmm. I don't have to go around and say, did you just see that? Am I crazy here? That was always the question. Am I crazy or like somebody help me to see? Because if the lens is their, excuse me, if the lens is they're perfect and yet I'm feeling hurt, dismissed, invalidated, betrayed, whatever, 
then I have to do some mental jujitsu in order to reconcile like these perfect people and the way I'm feeling. And so of course, what I'm going to do is make myself the problem. Yeah. Shame, 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 shame. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Or maybe it's my child. That's the problem. And that has shifted. Like as a parent, I'm in it with my own kids and reparenting myself and also reparenting them for like all of the ways that I messed up in the last, you know, 15 years has been, it's really, well, that's what I was going to say is like, I'm curious how much of this stuff came up for you as a result of being a parent. Cause that's so fucking common. It is really common. And when I hear other people talking about it, I'm like, yeah, you would think that that would be the way it came up for me, but it didn't. And I think it's because I was parenting by default mm. in the exact way that I had been parented parented. And so I was making my kids the problem. So I was agreeing with my parents in that way. Like I was the problem and then now they're the problem. And, but now I will say as those blinders began to come off and we would have these instances with the kids that like, yes. And that was really the final straw for me was when it was impacting my kids in a negative way. I was able to then be like, okay, like I know that as an adult, I'm going to be okay, but like, it's my job to protect my kid. And so, yeah, that's really. Last question I want to ask you on this before we like actually talk about ADHD. What have the conversations been like with your kids? You know, like what have you shared with them as far as like, this is why, you know, like I don't have a relationship with them right now. Hmm. It's really interesting. Those the relationship began to shift about two and a half years ago. Um, and because there was like an incident where it was like the reckoning of like, oh, okay. So like it, it was undeniable. It was I the sign that you needed. I couldn't not see it. Right. And so in that moment, you know, we were still in contact, but the relationship shifted. And that's when the conversation started with the kids. And that's when it was like, if the kids, you know, didn't want to do something, I was like, that's fine. You don't have to do it. And so I was giving them more authority, more agency over their own bodies, over their own like decisions and choices. Mm -hmm. And so that has been a gradual process. I tried to share age appropriate information. My middle guy, he is so emotionally intelligent and he wants to ask all the questions. And he says things like, mom, that must be really hard for you. Mm. I'm just like, I love you, but you don't need to take care of me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, don't worry about me. I am fine. But he's just such a doll baby. The other, like the oldest is uncomfortable. He doesn't want to talk about it and he doesn't have to talk about it. So I've just tried to be very, I'm going to have such a vulnerability hangover after this conversation. I'm just I have that go. impact on people. Ah. I'm, like I'm breathing and I'm taking a moment. I am, um, I try to share very age appropriate info and I'm also talking about my own experience. Mm -hmm. So I, it's never like something bad about the other person. It's like, this is how I'm experiencing it. And this is why we're just creating some distance. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. My heart goes out to you and a lot of people listening know exactly how you feel and are in the exact same position. I think the beautiful thing too, is like, it's not, um, a lifelong decision. And I think mm -hmm. even sometimes when the other person doesn't do the work, 
sometimes we can get do the work and we can get to a place where we can figure out how to have a relationship with our family in a way in which that works for us. So, you know, it's just a day at a time. Yes. And that is something that's really important to me. Like this, the distance um, doesn't have to be permanent. And yep, my but it's necessary uh, now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what I've had to do though is make sure that I'm approaching this from an adult place and not a childlike place because the child always wants the hope and is always hoping and hoping and hoping. And the adult is more grounded in like, hey, this is where we're at mm-hmm. and we're okay. So how old were you when you got diagnosed? I was 21. Okay. So that's pretty early for a female. The median age for female diagnosis right now is 38 years old. So most women are diagnosed later in life, usually around like perimenopausal age. Um, Usually when women are diagnosed, not always, but usually it's because something shifted in their life and their coping mechanisms just are not working anymore. So maybe like they're all done with school. A lot of women thrive in school. I'm not one of them, but a lot of women do because of the structure and they're really like, there's a lot of accountability. And a lot of times when that structure leaves, then things fall apart. Or when you have kids and your hormone shift, things fall apart. And then especially in perimenopause, like menopause age, things really shift. And so the ADHD was there all along, but you've worked so hard to cope and so hard to mask um, that you've been able to like be okay without, um, well, not be okay. <laughs> you've been able to get by. I don't know if okay is, uh, that's a little bit too generous of a term how were your symptoms manifesting primarily? At the time that I finally reached out for a diagnosis, I was double majoring in college. I had A's and F's, not much in between. I was completely overwhelmed. I was suffering from anxiety, depression, binge eating, and I was just a hot mess express. I I could not function. I knew I was smart. I knew I could hold a conversation. I knew I could... I knew that I had potential, but I just could not do the things. And I would watch my roommates. I would watch my classmates just like, you know, you get an assignment, you sit down, you do it. I'm just like, I don't understand what you're doing right now. Like I did not, I was very, very low functioning. And again, through the lens of trauma and my upbringing, I'm like, is that nature or nurture? There's a lot of skills that I did not have. Um, but. I'm not sure. And I'm not sure that it matters when it comes to ADHD. Like there's so much more research that needs to be done, but either Uh way you're dealing with the symptoms and they deserve to be treated. Absolutely. I'm curious about when you said like the A's to the F's. So like what were, what sort of subjects were you thriving in and what were you not thriving in? Oh my gosh. That is. Was there like a, I mean, did it matter? Like, was there something going on there or. Um, I would say. Any subject that dealt with expressing myself through writing, through presentations, through being able to um, communicate, I would do really well in. I, I would always be able to absorb the information by listening to the professor. I enjoyed going to class. Like I enjoyed the spar and the back and forth like in a collegiate environment. That was always fun to me. What was not fun was like the stupid assignments, the having to like you know, when someone with ADHD looks, they when they like observe that something is pointless, it's going to be real hard for us to make ourselves do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm resonating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So 
if I felt like something was meaningful, I was all in. If I felt like something was just busy work and stupid, forget about it. I'm not doing it. Mm. And so I was very mm. oppositional in that way. I was like, this is so dumb. I'm not wasting my time on this crap. Yeah. I mean, that that was one of the big things when I had my assessment, because that's been my experience with jobs yeah. up until doing this. So I was a CPA. And then the last job I had when I was launched the podcast, I was um, a recruiter for an accounting firm. And I just didn't fucking give a shit. <laughs> and I was a horrible employee and that didn't feel good to me. Yeah. I didn't want to be that way. You know, I knew that that wasn't me living with integrity and I would do whatever I could I'd be like, come on, girl. Like, I'd make all these promises. To me. All right, like, let's do a better job. And it was just completely impossible for me. Um, and so then I ended up, like, getting fired, which was, like, I knew this was, like, the push off the ledge, you know, from the universe so I could, like, fully step into this. Sure. But I didn't, like, realize that that was, like, potentially an ADHD thing. So the thing for me is, like, never struggled in school. Um, writing was always an issue for me. Just from the standpoint of like, I know what I want to say, mm. but I can't figure out how to put it into words and writing, but like speaking, never an issue. Um, and so I just, I just assumed that like, I, I just never considered that this could possibly be what was going on. I think the other thing for me too, is that like, you know, I became an alcoholic and an addict at like the age of 13. So like, who knows what would have showed up in that time period. But even in college, like I didn't struggle, like paint, like focusing, studying, never an issue. Mm -hmm. And so the way that it's been showing up for me, and, and I don't know if it's something that's been up there all along or if it's been from like prolonged phone use that's just like fucked my brain. Um, but it, the way it's showing up for me is like hardcore procrastination, like hardcore phone addiction. Yeah. Um, you know, just not being able to get like tasks, like important shit done. Yep. And so I really chalked it up to just be like, there just must be more um, trauma, like limiting beliefs that need to be worked through. And then just like, I guess it was back, I don't know, starting the beginning of the year, just like a few more seeds, like just kind of got planted for me. Um, but when I had the assessment done, I mean, obviously it wasn't like the most thorough thing in the world, but she came back to me Um when she was supposed to give me my results, she came back to me and she's like, I actually want to do more. And so she did like more assessments for another hour. And I didn't realize she was giving me an IQ test because oh. basically what happened was like, I mean, I, on the, all of the assessments, like I was mostly like in like the like high average to superior range, but then mm -hmm. there were a few things that I was like average at. And so she wanted to test my IQ. Cause she said that, like, she said, you have an, such a high IQ these averages show that there's some sort of a, like a dis discrepancy here, yeah. you know? Yeah. So. yeah, that's, that I think is so fascinating because I don't know if you know this, but the ADHD brain actually has less dopamine mm -hmm. than a neurotypical brain. Mm -hmm. So um, was that just like a really annoying way to introduce a sentence by saying, I don't know if you know this. No, you're fine, That's girl. It's like a weird way to say you're it. Fine, okay, fine. fine. I appreciate that. No, um, because we have less dopamine, we have to go and chase it. 
We have to go find it. We have to go like our brain is like, gimme, 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 right? So like we have to go find it somewhere, which is why when something feels boring, mundane, stupid, pointless, we're just like, no, the reward system in our brain is broken. We're not going to get the pleasure from that, that a typical person is going to get, which really is not fair at all. Um, and so that's why we have to have jobs that we're invested in. That's why we have to have, like, you tolerate the parts of this job that you don't love because you're so invested and you love it so much. And there's so, like, the majority of it you're amazing at, you're good at. And then, yeah, there's these couple things over here that you're like, oh, I have to go figure that out, right? Mm-hmm. But but the motivation is there because of the big picture. And I think people with ADHD are often kind of like allergic to being out of alignment with their values. They're allergic to like not being invested in something. And so we can only make ourselves do the thing for so long. And then we kind of just like die on the inside. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Do you feel, here's my here's my concern. Cause we were talking about, you said trauma, like ADHD. Mike, mm. we have to treat symptoms. Clearly. My concern is like, if somebody's just getting an ADHD diagnosis, are we just putting a bandaid on a wound that requires more intense treatment? Mm. That's a really beautiful and brilliant question. And I would say, yes, we are, I think putting a bandaid on a, on a very deep wound. But I don't think that we can really heal that wound without the first step of the Band-Aid. So here's what I mean by that. Somebody with ADHD has such low executive functioning. Now, it is a spectrum disorder, Mm -hmm. but somebody who's really suffering with ADHD has such low executive functioning that making an appointment, showing up to an appointment, engaging in a conversation, paying attention, doing the homework... All of that's required in deep therapy work. We we probably don't have the capacity to engage in that until we are first treated. Mm-hmm. And so in my, like the way that I've kind of reconciled all of this in my brain is like, you know, does trauma cause ADHD or does genetics cause ADHD? From where I stand right now, it doesn't matter. If you have the symptoms, they need to be treated. And then if you have capacity and privilege and access to all of the things, keep doing that healing work. So has my ADHD improved since I've started therapy with trauma, trauma therapy? Yeah, it has. Am I off of my medication? No. Um, I love my medication so much. Like it makes me feel so grounded and normal and comfortable in my own body. Um, Will I maybe someday, you know, see if I can decrease the dosage and eventually go off? Maybe, maybe. Um, but what's so important is like somebody like Gabor Mate, who I respect so much and I, I'm so appreciative as, of his work, but saying like, oh, it's, it's all trauma related and uh-huh. we don't need to treat it. We just need trauma work is like, there's uh-huh. not enough therapists in the world to take care of all of us. So it's not really a viable solution. Uh-huh. We need more than that. We do need that triage stage. So when like people come into my program, I, I talk about triage, like we got to just triage what's going on here. We got to uh-huh. get you functioning enough to be able to then do deeper work if that's what you want to choose to do. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I met with a psychiatrist last week and I walked in. She she had gotten she had been sent the report and that but she had me do this like anxiety, you know, like an anxiety suicidal thing like beforehand. Mm-hmm. And so I walk in, she goes, 
well, I looked at the, you know, the assessment that you filled out last night. She's like, it seems like things are going pretty good for you. I'm like, that's not why I'm here, bitch. Oh my God. <laughs> she had not read the report. She said to me three or four times, you talk really fast. I want to be like, fuck you. <laughs> I get so angry because I hear stories regularly about the way that people are treated in appointments with clinicians. It's so inappropriate. It's so inappropriate. I don't know how people are getting away with it. I, I think it's just like we, as the consumer, we have no choice. Like I, I, you know, this was the psychiatrist that I was referred to and like, what mm -hmm. choice do I have? But it is so inappropriate. And the fact that so many, especially women, people of color um, and high achievers, so mm -hmm. lawyers, doctors, they go for an assessment and clinicians will, will literally say, you can't have ADHD, you're a lawyer. Mm-hmm or women don't have ADHD or adults grow out of ADHD, which is not true. Um, and so there's just so many misconceptions. There's not enough training. Um, well, that's just it. I mean, I felt the whole time I was either explaining to her what she could have found out if she had read the report and then like right. explaining things to her, like complex trauma that she should like already fucking know about, you know, right. <laughs> it's so disappointing. Yeah. It's so disappointing. My best friend is a former nurse and she says regularly, like, I'm convinced that being a doctor is pretty easy. Mm -hmm. Like in some capacities, like you just, it's not that hard. And so some of us go in and we're just like, could you like read the report? Could you please just understand ADHD? Could you do a little bit of research prior to this? Um, so I always advise people like, it's your job to be the expert. Unfortunately, unfortunately, it's your job to be the expert. So how much, so you get diagnosed, like how much has, has it been for you? Like medication, but also like life hacks, mm -hmm. like learning how to work with it. Like how important has that been for you? So when I was first diagnosed, I didn't know anything about ADHD. I was just like, I struggle to focus. Okay. I'll take this medication. And that it was helpful, but I still struggled to function. And I was so traumatized. So there's like that whole layer. Mm -hmm. But the the thing that changed me the most after being like medically treated for ADHD was discovering mindset coaching. Mm. When when someone taught me, hey, your thoughts and the way that you think and how you talk to yourself, it actually matters and it like changes things. I was like, wait, what? I didn't know that. I didn't know that thoughts and emotions were connected. Mm. I had no idea. Nobody ever taught me that. I was 35 years old when I learned this. So being able to understand um, my own mind and then starting connecting with my body because I was so disconnected. I had to be. I had to be so disconnected from my body just to function, to to survive in the family system that I was in. And even though I wasn't living with my parents at the time, I was still so disconnected from my body. Mm -hmm. um, and so getting to know my own emotions, I probably only could name four emotions prior to seven years ago, happy, sad, mad, frustrated, excited. Okay, five. 
I could probably name five emotions. I was so emotionally illiterate and not able to understand that like, oh, the emotions that I feel are actually fueling the actions that I take. So if my action is procrastination, it's probably because of an emotion. What emotion am I avoiding? What am I not wanting to feel? What am I disconnecting from right now? And, and trying to like suppress or repress, I'm not sure, um, so that I don't have to feel it. Right. And so that those kinds of things were the biggest hacks for me, because here's the thing. Mm. Here is the thing. Every ADHD or wants like the hack. And the truth is you already know how to do the things. You're just not doing them. That's the thing with ADHD. You know what to do. You just don't know how to make yourself do it. And and what I am finding is that the disconnection is usually with emotions. So I want to make a, a list. I want to bedazzle my schedule. I want to make everything really pretty and make a plan, but I don't actually want to follow through because I don't want to feel bored. I don't want to feel frustrated. I don't want to feel overwhelmed. But if I'm willing to feel bored, frustrated, and overwhelmed, then I'll take action and actually follow through on my goals. So what I, what changed my life and what I work with my clients every day is connecting to emotions and allowing emotions and letting them just be present in your body. It's not sexy. Everyone just wants the like, like, but like, how do you get out of bed in the morning? Right? Well, you can set 400 alarms, but if you are dreading your day and you're telling yourself, I can't do it. I'm too tired. This is not going to work. You're not going to get out of bed. Who cares about your alarms? Right? So it's like, we want the tips and tricks. The tips and tricks are cute. They make great Instagram posts, but they don't really work when you're trying to just like live your everyday life because you can give me the tips and tricks, but I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do it. I don't know if that resonates. Is that, has that been your experience? Oh, hell yeah. So what have been some, like, what are some of the um, practices that you're teaching as far as mm-hmm. like mindset? Mm-hmm. Um like you said, you know, you're encouraging people to, to feel, you know, to sit with their feelings. Like what does that daily practice look like for you? So first of all, I don't have any daily practices because I don't make myself do anything that I don't want to do truly. Right. So I, (laughs) people talk about having a schedule is important. Like having a, it's so fascinating, like a routine. Mm Mm-hmm. Like a morning routine. Yeah. It's like, what's your morning you routine? That's I'm like, important for somebody with ADHD. I have a don't die list. Okay. That's what I have, which is essentially like, these are the things that you have to do so that you do not die. Let's hear it. And that's what I do. So I make sure that I take medication. I make sure that I pack water for my day. Mm-hmm. I make sure that I drink coffee mm-hmm. and I enjoy being clean. So I take showers. Not every person with ADHD enjoys being clean or taking showers, but I do. So that's what I do. That's my don't die list. If Fun I, fact about me is I wash my feet every night twice before I go to bed. I've been doing it for like 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, twice. That's so endearing. That really makes me love you. Great. It's so great. Um, I also have a don't die list, like my, my bedtime don't die list, which is like, take your contacts out because sleeping with them hurts. I can't do it. I've never been right? like Take the contacts out. Take the eye eye makeup off, take your melatonin, enjoy, bra off the end. I don't have, I don't, I don't do routines. I'm just not going to do it. 
Um, and I think it's because of consistency culture, the, the culture of like, you got to be consistent. If you're going to be successful, you got to have a routine. If you're going to be consistent, if you're going to be successful. And the thing about having ADHD is that nothing is consistent about me, nothing. And so if I believe that I have to be consistent to be successful, then I've already lost. And then there's tons of shame. There's self-judgment, there's self-blame. And I'm just like, well, I'm never going to do it then. Like if I have to be consistent to be successful, then I'm never going to be successful. Um, And so what I tell myself and what I teach my clients is you don't have to be consistent, throw consistent in the trash can because it's trash and work toward being persistent. Just start again, be willing to start again, start again, start again, start again, and build your tolerance for starting over, starting again. We're not trying to build a streak. If every day is day one, it's no problem. We're just going to like, okay, we're going to try it again, try it again, try it again. So, you know, I've been able to inconsistently build a really successful business. I've been able to inconsistently have a successful podcast, have a successful coaching program, but I do it not with the, not with like, I'm going to follow my routines and I'm going to add these mindfulness practices in. I'm just like, listen, I'm just like, I'm not going to die. I'm going to use my brain to like do the best I can. I'm going to be persistent AF and I'm going to utilize the tools that I have. So I have the tool of like being able to feel my emotions. And when I'm triggered, that's what I do. So I surf those emotions and I allow them in my body. I have the tool of thought downloading. So I use that sometimes, which is essentially I'm just taking everything out of my brain and I'm downloading it onto paper. I love the pen to paper. I think it really does matter to like slow us down and connect us to ourselves. So I teach my clients to thought download, but it's not like every morning when you wake up, write three pages of morning pages. It's just like, hey, when you're triggered, do a thought download. Mm-hmm. I teach a very simple self-coaching model. It's called the steer map. And it's essentially like um, helps us to understand how our thoughts are triggering our emotion, how our emotion is fueling the action that we take. And then the actions that we take give us our result. It's just a self-awareness tool. And self-awareness is one of our deficient executive functions. And so if someone with ADHD can begin to build self-awareness, and then regulate their emotions, they're unstoppable, literally unstoppable. So ADHD is such a buzzword. I know. It's like it's narcissism. So, <laughs> so true. Right? Borderline. <laughs> totally. What, what do you think are some really dangerous misconceptions that you see being thrown out there? Oh my gosh. I'm going to get so activated. Um, the the biggest one that I think is the most toxic is that ADHD is a superpower, mm. that ADHD is a gift. Mm. I I completely disagree. Um, and all of the research tells us that it makes life so much harder, that it makes you mo- more prone to car accidents, divorce, debt, incarceration, and shorten life expectancy. Tell me how that's a superpower. I do not understand um, why we have to turn something that's actually a struggle and mm-hmm. needs to be um, validated and honored and really taken care of. And we have to make it pretty. Uh, we don't need to make it pretty. We can just look at the person and help them to discover their real superpowers. Because of course, every human 
has a superpower or many, but let's not delegate that to ADHD. I'm not giving ADHD credit for my, you know, for my gifts. I, I am not successful because I have ADHD. I'm successful in spite of it. Oh my goodness. Wow. <laughs> like if I could have done this without having ADHD, I would have 100% loved to do that. Um, so yeah, I think that is probably the most toxic one is, is trying to frame it as a gift or a superpower. I, I understand that it is well-meaning, but I still think it's detrimental. Let's talk about one of my favorite things. That's is the, the rejection, this, what is it? Rejection, dysphoria, rejection, sensitive dysphoria. Yeah. Somebody came in one of my groups one day and they're like, I have this. And then I looked it up and I was like, that just sounds like, um, like abandonment issues. Yeah. <laughs> Complex Absolutely. Can so you I just, what it is? I know yeah. I was just listening to them. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so what glad. I, I'm happy at what I heard. So continue. <laughs> I appreciate Explain the stamp of approval. Is. Okay. I was, so I was nervous. <laughs> people with ADHD are highly sensitive to rejection. We can go into all of the whys, but essentially we experience way more rejection than the average human. And studies have been done on this that prove that um, students with ADHD, like I think they studied eight and nine-year-olds, receive 52% more rejection than the average typical little kiddo, right? So we've experienced, and that's just like a snapshot, Mm -hmm. we've experienced so much rejection. Mm -hmm. Um, One dude named William Dodson has coined the phrase or term rejection sensitive dysphoria and what Dodson says about it. Now, first of all, props to Dodson. He's a leader in the ADHD community. He knows his stuff. I disagree with him on this topic. What he says is that um, rejection. He's the one that coined the term. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you know when? Um. No, that's a great okay. question. I would say in the in the last twenty years. Okay. It's not. It's not a super old. Uh, other people have used rejection sensitive dysphoria. Um, like back in the day, like hundreds of years ago. Um, and I think it was associated with borderline personality disorder, but he's using it associated with ADHD. And essentially what he's saying is ADHDers are highly sensitive to rejection because of the structure of their brain. And um, that medication is the only treatment for it. And psychotherapy does not do anything to help. What he doesn't do is back it up with any data. What he doesn't do is even back it up with anecdotal evidence. (laughs) It's what Attitude Magazine has done, because this is primarily the source that it's been published, is they link to themselves. So they're they're not doing any external links. There's no um, objective criteria. It's just, it's a whole hot mess, in my opinion. How so here's here's the problem with that is that because so many people with ADHD have experienced the trauma of rejection. That trauma is what needs to be dealt with and soothed and honored and validated and really healed and taken care of. When we say that, oh, it's just RSD and here, just take this pill and nothing else is going to help you. What we do is we say, um, there is no deeper healing for, for you. And we say, it's your brain's fault that you feel this way, not the fault of the people in your life that have rejected you repeatedly. So I get really mad um, because I want to be protective of the community. And I think that some people really feel validated with RSD 
um, as a label, as a diagnosis, I'm using air quotes as a diagnosis. It is not a recognized medical diagnosis. So, you know, some people are willing to, to label it. Most people are not. Um, I, I think that what needs to be really honored is the rejection experience of someone with ADHD. It is hard to live in a neurotypical world with a neurodivergent brain. It's hard. It's really hard. And um, there's a lot of rejection that comes with that. Has anyone ever challenged him on it? Like, have you seen like anything? When I was doing research, so I, for four years, I've wanted to record this podcast. I finally, you know, um, put it out just a couple months ago, but for four years, I've been like, what the hell this is this? Like, is any, I keep waiting, right? Like, this is exactly how it was when I started my podcast in 2018. I was like, when is somebody to start like a cool ADHD podcast? I'm like, hello, hello, hello. I was like, okay, fine. I'll do it. And I kind of felt that way with Dodson too. When is someone going to challenge him? When is someone going to do it? And I was like, okay, fine. So what in my research, one person wrote a blog. Um, her name is Jillian, but I forget her last name. I'm so sorry. Um, but she wrote a blog essentially that was like, what the heck? And I said on my podcast, I could literally just read her blog post and and we could be done. Cause like I agreed with her so much where it was like, at first I really resonated with RSD and was like, yeah. And then I realized there's absolutely no research. There's no medical consensus. Nobody else is really talking about it except for Dodson. Like there are so many red flags and I don't understand like WebMD, Psychology Today, they all, if you go, like Google like WebMD, RSD, they will, they have articles about it, but they're quoting this one Attitude Magazine article. I just think it's really, really, um, what is the word? Oh, well, I'm so sorry. It's like, it's like a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's unethical. Thank you. Yeah. 100%. So um, to my knowledge, no reputable person with initials next to their name has challenged him publicly. So I don't have initials next to my name. I'm just, uh, I'm yeah. just like a show with a podcast. That's what I say. Say it again. I should show with a podcast. I love it. It's <laughs> yeah. great. Um, yeah, it seems like, and it makes me nervous just cause I think the same thing can happen with like, with borderline and mm. with like, it seems like people, have you found you're obviously really connected to this community? But one thing that I've seen is like people really feel like deeply attached to it. And you know what mm. I mean? Like they, they are almost like wearing it kind of as like a, I don't know. I don't want to say like a badge of honor. Mm. It seems like people like, how is your commute? How, what were the responses that you received to doing those episodes? I was so nervous. I was so nervous. And I hardly got any pushback at all. Mm-hmm. In my community, um, people really resonated with it. But I expected that because they're my people. Do you know what I mean? So I expected, here's what I expected. I expected so many negative podcast reviews about it. I expected so many Instagram DMs about it. And I didn't get any. It was fascinating. The, you know, on a couple of posts, there there were a couple of comments that were like, I don't agree. It was totally fine. And one of the things that I, I said over and over in that series is like, listen, if you resonate with this, like I you're a grown it. ass adult, yeah. like 
Call it what you want to call it. I just, as a leader in the community, I don't want to be championing something that is saying like, hey, nothing else is going to help you except for medication. Um, what, what even medication would fix that? Yeah, I would have to go look it up. There are two different types of medications. And then I'm like, is he getting... Oh, I think they're trauma. I think I actually was reading an article and I think they're both like trauma medications. See, and that's the thing is like, when are we just going to admit that like, we've got some attachment issues and we really, really need healing. And yes, like ADHD is real and it exists and we deserve to be treated for it. But then once we are and we're a little bit functional, going deeper is going to change your life. Yeah. And how... Huh. So it's so interesting. I'm curious about like, how much have you been, because you started this pot. When did you start your business? I started coaching in the spring of 2019. So like, um, six months after I started the podcast, I would say. And then I, I started my group coaching program, um, January of 2020. What, um, what was the journey that led up to you doing this? I, owned a tutoring center in my town. And I was working with students who um, had learning difficulties and many of them had ADHD. And as I was researching ADHD to help them, I was like, wait, what? (laughs) I did not know that ADHD, like everything that I hated about myself was connected to ADHD symptoms, which is really enlightening for me. So but didn't you I was get diagnosed my, when you were 21? Yeah, but I didn't know anything about it. I just knew like I struggled oh, to focus. Oh, you weren't treating it. I took medication. Okay. But I still was late all the time. I mean, medication is great, but it, you don't become a neurotypical person. You also don't become a person who just automatically knows how to function. Like you have to understand life, which I didn't. And I didn't understand like time blindness. I didn't understand emotional dysregulation. I didn't understand working memory issues. So um, as I began to uncover all of that, I was like, oh my word, I cannot believe that all of this is connected to ADHD. So I built this company in my town that I, where I was helping students and I was really enjoying that. And I was adding in coaching tools and I was helping like ADHD students and it was so great. And then their parents would come to me and be like, um, like I have ADHD too. You know, they get really quiet. Like I have ADHD too. I'm not really sure. And I, it was like 2017. No. Yeah. 2017, 2018. And there wasn't, I didn't know where to send them. I was like, I don't, I mean, like, I know these books you can read, but like, I didn't, I couldn't really find any life coaches. Like it was just like early. I know it's not that long ago, but this is like pre podcast booming, um, pre life coaching being a huge thing. It was just mm-hmm. a lot has changed in the last couple of years. So, um, once I, I launched the podcast kind of out of this, like, I want a fun, cool, informative ADHD podcast that combines research, but also mindset tools. Mm-hmm. And so I launched that and then people started reaching out to me for coaching. And since I had developed this coaching program in my tutoring company, I was like, I wonder if this could be used for adults. So I essentially sa- said, like, I've never coached before, but I do do this with my students. Would you like to like do a right kind on. of like a beta yeah. program and see if it works? And they were like, 
I mean, it was so amazing. And I always had more coaching clients than I could handle. Mm -hmm. Like people just, it's such an underserved community. Like, yes, I'm really good at what I do, but also it's such an underserved community that there was always more demand for help than I had time to give. So, um, I mean, to the point where like I took off all advert, I was like not advertising. I was like, I can't help anybody, you know? And so that's when I was like, I need to start some sort of group thing. So I did that at the beginning of 2020. And that's all I focus on now. I don't do any individual clients. Um, I can just make such a bigger impact focusing on the group. And it's been, gosh, it's so fun. What do you think are some of the biggest roadblocks in people actually like seeking help? Do you mean seeking a diagnosis or after a diagnosis seeking help? Both. I think that the biggest roadblock is shame and feeling like you should already know this stuff. You should already be able to do it. I should be able to stop looking at my phone. I should be able to get to work on time. I should be able. Mm -hmm. The shoulds are so toxic and it's actually what we've been told our whole lives. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, I know you're smart. Why can't you just do this? I know that you're a capable person. Why can't you just do this? I see you getting A's in this class. Why can't you get A's in this class? And so it's it's the shoulds that we've collected along the way that we now use to gaslight ourselves and stop ourselves from getting help. And so I think that's the biggest barrier. And again, I didn't know that like most adults with ADHD are time blind. They're going to always suck at time management. Most adults with ADHD have very poor working memory. They're going to forget everything. Most adults with ADHD um, struggle to regulate their emotions. They're explosive. They're reactive. They're an emotional roller coaster. I did not know this. And so I would have never sought a diagnosis unless, I mean, I literally hit like a rock bottom. But if I was just kind of cruising along, I would just think like, yeah, I've just got these character flaws. Because yeah, everyone struggles with being late sometimes. Everyone struggles with being emotional sometimes. Everyone struggles with memory sometimes. But for someone with ADHD, it can be debilitating. It can affect your job. It can affect your family. It can affect like, I'm not paying my bills because I forget that money is a thing and bills exist, right? So, yeah. That was my piece is like the the shame. And I and I, I had an interview with... Um, Susan Anderson, she's the, um, she's like the abandonment trauma guru and she re mm -hmm. it really hit home. But that's what I was doing was every day, every night when I was going to bed, I'm like, all right, tomorrow, I'm not going to play candy crush tomorrow. I'm going to get all these fucking things done. Yeah. And you know, every night just shaming the shit out of myself, yeah. you know, like what the hell is wrong with you, you know? And then realizing that I needed to like, I needed to come to myself with more like compassion and curiosity. Yeah you know, but that's, we're really good at shaming, you know, shaming this shit out. And yeah, the shoulds. And then like looking, it's like, you're just as capable as all these other people. Like, why are they able to like be productive and get shit done when like, you're just as talented, if not more talented and capable than they are? Mm -hmm. Like what the fuck's wrong with you? And that is what I really want people to take seriously is if you know that you're talented, if you know that you've got something to offer the world, and if you know that like for some reason I am <coughs> totally debilitated, I'm paralyzed, I'm avoiding, I can't do it, like investigate that. Mm -hmm. Go figure out why. Mm -hmm. Like don't don't make it about you being the problem. Maybe something else is the problem. And I think that is so 
important. Like when I think I'm the problem, then I don't go get help because I'm just like, oh, well, I'm just the problem. But if I'm like, mm, maybe there's something deeper going on here, then I'm willing to go and have an uncomfortable conversation with the psychiatrist and see if we can get some help. Mm-hmm. Or like have them not read your report. Okay. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, so when it comes to when we're talking about the not being able to focus on things that are not like interesting, how much are you seeing? How important do you think it is? Or how often are you seeing people who are, you know, getting these ADHD diagnoses and then, you know, having like, um, like a come to Jesus moment where it's like, all right, like it's time for me to like find my, my purpose. And how important do you think that is? I think it's very common. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that a typical process for someone with ADHD, like you get this diagnosis, uh, let's say it's like later in life, you get the diagnosis and you begin to understand yourself. And it's almost like that hallway that I described when I was walking through my own trauma memories. A lot of people with ADHD have to walk through the hallway of the life that they've lived and now see it through the lens of ADHD. Oh, I made that decision because of impulsivity. Oh, I made that decision because of emotional dysregulation and just really forgiving themselves. I call it pardoning your past self. We got to issue a lot of pardons to our past self. We got to forgive ourselves for so much, including potentially self-medicating with substances, right? And like trying to go find comfort and self-regulation somewhere outside of ourselves. So maybe like, you know, whatever, we use sex, we use drugs, we use porn, like it doesn't matter. We're we're looking to be regulated, not realizing that like it's an ADHD issue and potentially a trauma issue underneath, but like whatever, we'll just skate by that one. Um, and so like kind of seeing everything through the lens of, oh, that's why I landed here. And then shifting. So once that process and it, it could be a long process. That, that could be a lot of grief. There are people that have lost so much jobs, relationships, and feeling like they, they're in a, a hole because mm-hmm. of their um, ADHD being untreated, undiagnosed, just going unknown. And so once that is really reconciled and you've, you've kind of grieved that, then you can focus toward the future. And then you can say, okay, who am I now? What do I want? What do I love? What are my values? And how do I want to set up my life to be ADHD friendly? And that's really important, but you can't really do that until you kind of, it's very similar to a therapeutic process, right? You got to grieve what is lost and you have to name those losses and you have to like live in the reality of where we are now. And, and then we can rebuild. Yes, ma'am. Mm. Mm. So tell everybody all the different things you got going on. So um, my website is I have ADHD.com and uh, you can find a ton of information about me and my program there. I have a group coaching for, program called Focused. A lot of people think they don't want group coaching and I understand that completely, but, and, but um, as you know, Healing is done in groups. <laughs> Healing is not done alone. And um, it has been a beautiful healing process for people to go through group coaching. Um, I also host the I Have ADHD podcast. I love it. It's so fun. You can come hang out with me there. And I, I don't know, I'm on Instagram if you like social media. I'm not on TikTok because I'm not that cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all. 
I was off of it. I I kind of like took a hiatus, but I'm come back on. So, but then mm-hmm. it's like they want to punish you for like not being on for a while. So you get I get like two views. So whatever. So rude. It's so rude. Listen, you're doing just fine. You're doing just this fine. This has been awesome. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, that wraps up today's episode. As always, I hope you heard something that could help you on your own journey. As always, I knew you did. As always, if you didn't, seek help. Uh, Thanks again to Kristen. Go check her shit out. So I think I've been shadow banned on Instagram, and I'm not really sure what the hell to do about it. So if anybody knows what to do or maybe know somebody that works at Instagram, uh, hit a gal up. Uh, I just got back from dinner. I made a, you know, a newer friend. I made her, I met her at yoga, um, a couple, like a month or two ago. And I think that she's going to be a good buddy for, for me to, you know, do, do fun shit with, right? I'm trying to live, baby. (laughs) Trying to live that life and do some fun shit. I'm going to a Yacht Rock, uh, cover band concert on Saturday fucking pumped if anyone wants to go it's down in st augustine uh yacht rock review the only downside of this is like it's in a big amphitheater versus when i would go to the shows in um san francisco like it's in these you know it's like in a small bar restaurant type thing so i can you know mingle work the crowd can't really do that when you're at a actual venue so um anything else? I don't think so. I love you all. I hope you have a fabulous week and I will see all y'all shit shows next week for another fucking amazing episode of Adult Child. It's going to be super raw, super fun, super excited. Be out of here. It's going to be a good day. I promise. Let it